Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast where we hear from mothers who are artists and creators, sharing their joys and issues around trying to be a mother and continue to make art. Regular topics include mum guilt, identity, the day-to-day juggle, mental health and how children manifest in their art. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. I have a passion for mental wellness and a background in early childhood education. You can find links to my guests and topics they discuss in the show notes, along with music played, a link to follow the podcast on Instagram and how to get in touch. All music used on the podcast is done so with permission. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Bowendick people as the traditional custodians of the land and water which this podcast is recorded on and pays respects to the relationship the traditional owners have with the land and water, as well as acknowledging past, present and emerging elders. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Catherine Collette, a writer and podcaster from Melbourne, Victoria and a mum of two. Catherine spent her childhood writing, whether that be poetry, in diaries, short stories or to pen pals. Throughout high school, it fell away until her early 20s when she would write a little play or comics for friends. An engineer by trade, when Catherine turned 30, she reflected on the long-held hope that during her life she would write a book. So she began. Her first book, The Helpline, based around the people she'd met in her work life, was published in 2019 and she followed up with the competition in February of this year. Catherine's style is described as light but clever comic writing with a bit of a punch. Catherine also co-hosts the First Time Podcast with fellow writer and previous guest of mine, Kate Mildenhall. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for coming on today, Catherine. It's a real pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited (laughs) to be here. Yeah, must be nice to be um, the subject of a podcast rather than interviewing someone. <laughs> yeah, it is. the. Um, I think that of events and things too, I think the harder job is being the host rather than being the guest. Yeah. You've got to be a lot more agile in how you're thinking and think of the next question. But if you're the guest, you just wait for the question and answer it. It's great. Yeah. You can relax a bit, just switch off a bit and that's yeah, good yeah hopefully not too much <laughs> I'll poke you if you if you don't answer <laughs> so tell us about what you do sure so I am an author I have written two books my first book came out about four years ago and my second book which is called The Competition came out just over a month ago now uh, so I do writing, I write fiction, the fi- type of fiction that I write is humorous fiction. And I also co-host a podcast called The First Time. And I believe you had my co-host on the show a couple of episodes ago. Sure Kate did. Mildenhall. Kate Mildenhall. Yeah, it was lovely to meet Kate. She's, oh, she, you guys must have so much fun <laughs> when you make that podcast. Oh, uh, it's I think as well, I mean, we've been doing it for about four years. It um, started out the the concept of the podcast was my first book was coming out and she was the only author that I knew. So I kept asking her all these questions about what to expect. And um, yeah, we ended up making a podcast about it and the podcast has continued since, but during the last, and it's always been fun, but during the past couple of years with COVID, we're both in Melbourne, we've spent long periods of time locked down as I suspect have, you know, many of your listeners, But she really was my main touch point, aside from my family, my husband, my mom. It was Kate that I spoke to every week. And a lot of those chats are recorded and we listened back. She made a little compilation a few episodes ago and we listened back to the conversations, just snippets that we had when COVID first hit and then over time during lockdown. It was just a... Yeah, it was a really fascinating thing. She definitely mm-hmm. kept me going, but you could also hear the fatigue in our voices over time. Yeah. It's interesting to have that like little time capsule almost of that that moment in time and sort of reliving the emotions and the uncertainty and all that sort of thing as, as it went through. And, yeah, that'd be I, really and interesting. I, I think it was fascinating because I think that period, particularly at the start, 
you know, of so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to reflect back and think, wow, I'm glad you didn't know what was coming in many ways. Yeah, that's um, so true. strange yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, I just want to let you know that I, oh, I messaged you and let you know, but I am reading the competition. I haven't finished it yet. Oh. And I'm sorry I didn't get to finish it, but I love it. I, I mentioned to you in your message, I love your sense of humor is so relatable to me. I just, I, I read it and it's <laughs> like, I could have said it myself. It's just, I love it so much. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's yeah. so nice. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you become a writer? I was a kid who always liked writing. I um, I wrote as a, you know, pretty early on I would write in diaries. I had a lot of pen pals. Often people didn't realise they were pen pals with me, so they, you know, didn't always write back. But I wrote a lot of letters to people. Uh, and I also wrote a lot of poetry in those letters, terrible sort of rhyming stuff. So it was something that was really a part of my life early on. Uh, but it fell away, as I think it it maybe is a fairly common experience in high school. I was more interested in, I played a lot of basketball for one. I was probably also more interested in meeting boys. <laughs> so I did I did some writing, but mostly it was assessment based. So there was some creative stuff in there, but um, but not you know, not heaps. And then in my 20s, I would do little bits and pieces, uh, sometimes for gifts for people, like I might write a little play if they were going away, or I might write comics for them. So I had this creative element. But I mean, I'm, I'm 41 now. When I turned 30, it just not that I had a crisis, but I had this moment of thinking, my whole life, I thought I would write a book. And I realized that no one's ever just going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you'd be amazing at writing a book. If you if you buy a if you write a book, we'll publish it. You have to just start writing the book. And so I did. And I didn't start with short stories. I just plunged straight in. I had met, I'm an engineer, but I was working for a brief period of time at a council doing community development sort of stuff which I wasn't really very good at but (laughs) there I met this president of this local senior citizens club and she was a really intense woman a a little bit problematic Um, I remember that she I think the first time I met her she was furious because the Chinese subgroup of senior citizens had been playing mahjong in the bingo room and she'd gotten so angry with them for doing this that she had they had sandwiches in the communal fridge. So she threw out all their sandwiches oh. and, and told them that it was her fridge and um, they weren't allowed to keep food in it. So I met this woman. I had this desire to write. And so I wrote a story that was set around a council worker who encountered this senior citizens club. Yeah. And I was obsessed. I wrote... I didn't have, this was pre-kids, but I got up every morning. I'd get up at five. I'd write for an hour. Then I'd go to the gym and then I'd go to work. And slowly that would encroach into weekends. Like I'd do writing on weekends. I wrote a bit on holidays. My husband was like, it's kind of annoying. (laughs) She would not do this. But, um, yeah, so that that was how I got the first draft of my novel down. And uh, I was madly redrafting wanting to start to send it out when my daughter was born that felt like a really big hurdle Mm -hmm. um but basically I sent it out you know I had a few hurdles and hits and misses along the way but that novel ended up getting published uh and when it was purchased by the publisher they um purchased it was a two book deal so I um I was in at that point 
Yeah. Is that scary though, knowing that you've got to then turn around and do another one? <laughs> well, I had a draft of the other one, so that certainly helped. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it is it is daunting. Yeah, I've heard people say that, and, and it it probably is a better example of it that do weekly columns, and so that feeling of like you just sent one in, and then the next day it's like, oh, I have to do another one. Like I just finished <laughs> the first one, yeah. so I did definitely have that yeah, at that moment. Yeah, right. So, um, not wanting to spoil um, the competition for people who haven't read it yet, was that inspired by real life people as well as the helpline? It was. Yeah. It was. So the competition is set around a public speaking club. People might have heard of Toastmasters. It's a very similar environment. <laughs> um, but uh, basically I had swapped jobs. Uh, it was actually from going from engineering to working at the council and suddenly I had to do a lot of public speaking. So I joined the local Toastmasters club and I don't know if you've been to Toastmasters. Allison. I know people. I had... know people who have. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so, I know what you mean. <laughs> It's it's a funny little world. Um, I think that a public speaking club's probably always going to be pretty awkward, and you would want a public speaking club to be awkward, uh, both because people are trying something that is inherently awkward, but also if it was too cool a space, you wouldn't feel comfortable to get up. Like it has to be this really accepting, friendly, kind of gentle place. Uh, but that also adds a layer of unusualness I suppose like it, it, I guess my first impression of Toastmasters was like oh this would be easy to satirize <laughs> because <Sorry>. it's, it's <laughs> well it's awkward it's yeah. enthusiastic it's really positive it sort of came out of a, a probably predates the self-help movement on us but it, it's definitely a part of it yeah but at the first meeting that I went to, there was another woman who had just joined and she was, a, well, she is a transgender woman and she was in the process of transitioning and she talked about, well, I got to know her over time, but basically in that process of transitioning, she picked Toastmasters as the, the place that she would start that. So she sort of said to the group, listen, my name is this here, um, but outside of this, I'm called David. And if you see me in the street, don't mention, you know, my name is Greer here. Don't, don't mention the two things. And that always struck me that alongside this, this place that could feel a little bit ridiculous at times, there was something about it that was really beautiful. If someone who is doing something that's really brave and I imagine is really difficult, but they feel that this is the best place to start that journey and so I always had this view of Toastmasters and it was a view that I maintained over time that it was a place where people found their voice and that there could be elements of that that were really funny, but there were elements of that that were really sweet and positive and important. And, mm. um, and so I started writing a book about it and uh, the book, the competition is set around a public speaking competition in a Toastmasters-like environment. And there is a character in it. It's a really minor character that is based on that original woman that I met. Um, but that's not the focus of the, the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do the people know that they're in your books? Like, are they aware that their <laughs> characters are based around them? <laughs> she is the only one that is based on, well, I did have a senior citizens club president in the previous one, but I suspect she's, is dead. And, and <laughs> she was heavily fictionalized. Yeah. Um, the, this is really the only character that is more closely based on a person, but she's a really small character mm -hmm. uh, before. And, but, before the book came out, I had, because I had interviewed Greer is the woman's name before writing the book. And I said to her, oh, would you like to read the bits that I've put this character in? And I've sent her copies of the book. And my, yeah. she said, no, she, you know, wasn't fast. Yeah. Uh, but she, my launch comes up in a week's time and she's going to come to the launch, which feels oh, nice. That's lovely. But it would be, it is lovely. It would be very daunting though, if I hadn't done those things. 
the idea of writing about someone and not being um, open about that. And I can see why people, you know, could make that choice just because it it feels harder. Um, but I'm glad I did. And I mean, it was a positive portrayal. Yeah, that's the thing. You're not you're not hiding it because it was, you know, you turned it into a negative or anything. It's like it's quite positive, and you don't mind if that person is very aware that that is them or based on. Yeah, them. that's right. That's yeah. right. I guess the challenge with that, though, in in that kind of example, is that it could feel very random to have a book that is set in a public speaking club, and there is just a transgender character walking around like it could feel like a really labored form of diversity or something like that so I just was a bit conscious of that yeah yeah oh that's good Share a little bit about um, a bit more about your first time podcast. With, I mean, I don't want to give away your secrets because I want people to listen to it. Um, but tell us the sort of the gist of it, I suppose. So, as I said, um, when my first book was coming out, I had all these questions, and so I would routinely be like, "Oh, Kate, you know, like my launch is coming up." what am I meant to do at the launch or they want me to give a speech at a booksellers conference what should the speech be about or you know just all of these different things that I wanted her view on I wanted to know the answers to because I think it's I think it's a vulnerable thing for anyone releasing any type of art into the world be it books or music um, or, or sort of visual art those kinds of things and so you you sort of I really wanted that from her but I also was very much in this space of being a writer in a community of writers and a lot of them were emerging writers that would be going through the same things because you know they would have books published if not now or they just had books published So both of us were like, well, we think there's kind of a bit of space in this. And I think authors, particularly emerging writers, also like hearing those stories of how people's books came to be sitting on the shelf. And did you get an agent? Did you enter a competition? Like, you know, was it on the slush pile? All this sort of stuff. So we started the podcast and it always had these two parts. One part was our own experiences. So me saying, and it was I think particularly in those early days because we recorded a lot before we had an audience uh, and were releasing episodes as that audience was growing, we were both very vulnerable and saying, oh, I feel really daunted. Um, Yeah, so we had this one part which was about us discussing, me asking Kate questions, the two of us discussing pretty candidly the experience of being published. Mm -hmm. And then the other part was interviewing authors, other authors, about what it was like their first time. And so that was the initial starting premise. Initially, we had to not beg people to go on the show, but we certainly had to, you know, could you please come, I mean, you know, podcast people can be a bit dismissive of but we were like oh could you could you come on our podcast and and people very kindly said yes uh and so now I think we're into our fifth season we are overwhelmed with people pitching like that part has really evolved so you don't have to Uh, ask anymore you've got people knocking down the doors to to be a part of it incredible and the best part of that is is that you get sent people's books so you just we get lots and lots of books so as someone who loves reading uh, as well as writing that I just can't I I constantly pinch myself in going to the mailbox and <laughs> having all these books there it's great uh so that that was where we began we are now five seasons in we're still interested in people's first time and that's sort of what we're known for with our guests we always ask them about that first time but I guess as we've evolved as writers, we ask also about the craft of writing as well as the publication experience. Yeah, yeah, it's been really nice. And I think what's nice about it is 
that you start to build a community around it. So it's mm. got a really beautiful community and it's yeah. been such a nice thing to do. Um, yeah. Riding can be really solitary, but this feels a bit more like a team sport. Yeah, absolutely. And it would be so rewarding too, like knowing from your own point of view what it's like for your first time and how daunted you were. You're actually helping other people as well. Um, I think that would be amazing feeling. It is. It's lovely. And some of the letters that we get and emails are so touching. I keep mentioning COVID, but I think COVID's really dominated um, life. And we've had so many people that have messaged and said, you really got me through COVID. I couldn't write. I didn't feel creative. I I couldn't meet with my writer's group. But having you and Kate talking and being able to listen to you guys and hear the same struggles... And hear also that your difficult, your challenges in being creative at, at such a strange time. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, so that, it's like they were they were cha- they were hearing from familiar figures in their lives. You know, it was they felt reassured and yeah, it's like you guys. Think, even though you weren't there, you were there for people. You know, <laughs> it's true, and I feel that myself with the podcast that I listen to podcasting in audio is such an intimate medium because it's intimate when you create it it's just you and I sitting here yeah. it's intimate when you listen to it because it's generally most people listen on headphones or you know maybe in the house but they're generally listening on their own yeah um yeah. it's only when you then realize that you know it's a thousand people listening on their own that that yeah. you realize was well, not you know I probably don't need to say everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, uh. No, good on you. That that's really awesome. I think yeah, COVID was and it still is. Um, you know, it's it's a time that's divided people like physically, and so having those those connections that people can tap into has just been everything. It's been so important for people, and yeah, good on you. <laughs> and I think that community has helped us too. I remember early on in COVID, we had a listener that uh, wrote a letter. In and was saying they had just been at Varuna, which is a very well-known riding retreat in the Blue Mountains. Um, and it was it's in a house that was formerly owned by Eleanor Dark, who was a writer. And this listener that wrote in was saying that she had read Eleanor Dark's diaries or something from the Second World War. And in them, Eleanor was saying that for the duration of the war, she couldn't write because she felt this creative malaise survival was sort of front of mind and it just sort of felt really to be writing amidst all that and something that really helped me when I was struggling to hear someone say yeah that it is really difficult in times of hardship to want to write but also that that malaise goes away and that as as things in life get better it comes back yeah that yeah, it's 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 like a it's not a thing that's sort of reserved for this era of COVID. Like this is a, an, an experience that people have had for many many generations. <laughs> so it's sort of reassuring exactly. in that way, you know, that you're not alone and what you're feeling is normal and you can feel exactly reassured. yeah exactly. Yeah. No, that's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I f- I found in people that I've spoken to through this podcast, it can go either way. It's like some musicians go bonkers and just they've got to express how they're feeling through their art mm-hmm. um, or painters and, and such and others that just go nut like survival mode, like you said. Um, it's like that is that it's like almost the primal brain kicks in and it's just day-to-day looking after yourself, looking after your family. Yeah. And everyone I think that's really true. Yeah, and, and I guess too, everyone's experience with the COVID throughout Australia and around the world has been different too like even you guys compared to me here in South Australia I've had nothing compared to what you guys have gone through so I sort of touch wood that you know we've been really fortunate here and um yeah I don't know it's just a interesting (laughs) I think that's really true um I think it's also if you are on that side of that I can't write I can't do anything I've got nothing it's really hard seeing people that 
uh, oh my God, a novel fell out of my head overnight and I've, yeah. you know, written it in three days. I think we often feel that sense. Well, I think jealousy is always a part of creative life, how much you try and engage with that and, and be conscious not to let it in. But mm. you can feel like you're falling behind at times. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your family and your children. You mentioned briefly that you you had your first child when you were sort of the helpline was getting going places and happening and things. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about your children. Yeah, so I've got two children. The eldest, Matilda, is eight now and Oscar's six. So they're both at school. This is Oscar's second year at school. So he's in grade one. So I feel like now is a really exciting time creatively because I get two days a week that they're both at school and I'm not doing other types of work. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really exciting. But yeah, so when Tilly was born, I took a year off work, um, you know, stayed at home. I wrote a lot in that time. She was a good sleeper. Yep. So I was really lucky in that respect. Uh, and I feel like I've been able to maintain my creative practice through motherhood. Probably the bigger blip in that was having two kids. As most people with multiple kids will know, you have this idea that maybe they'll have a nap at the same time, but yeah. I don't think that ever really happened. So I think that felt that sort of first year of Oscar's life felt like far more of a hit in that respect. Um, but I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> <laughs> I feel lucky, like those are, I feel lucky to have both, to, to yeah. both be able to maintain a creative space and energy and be able to do that, but also to complement that with family life. I feel that one enhances the other. Mm. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Well, I think that. Pre-kids, that was a fear for me. Like I had this sense of urgency when Tilly was going to be born, that life would change. And I had a sense that what if I can't write anymore? What if, or what if I can't write for a long time? What if it's not until they're both at school that I can sort of pick up a pen? I really didn't know how that would work. And I think those early days of motherhood, are so hands-on, there's so much sleep deprivation and all those kinds of things that um, whilst I enjoyed all that, I, I had framed it around loss in yep. some ways that I would lose this ability to be creative and, and a lot of that was related to time. But increasingly I think having kids has enhanced my creativity both from the point of view of productivity and the, the lesser time that I have, but kids also awaken a different sense of curiosity in you and a, a sense of play, which, I mean, you're reading different books and, and seeing different words in that way, but I don't know, like just how a child will, spend an hour balancing a beanbag on one foot or you know those sorts yeah, just, of the game of life yeah you know games in nothing mm. and there's something that's I remember being a kid and thinking encountering adults that I knew had forgotten what it was like to be a kid and thinking I'm never going to forget what it's like to be a kid I'm never going to forget what it's like to be a kid but it I think for me, it wasn't until I had kids that I remembered what it was like to be a kid. Like I had forgotten. Yeah, because life takes you in that direction, doesn't it? Like life expects you to be a certain way and behave, you know, this level. And it, it doesn't encourage times of play. And, and it doesn't, 
you wouldn't the things that you will do with kids like I don't know and sometimes it's boring like you know <laughs> if you're playing in a sandpit and that repetition of activities that really little kids like um but the delight they will take in playing with an adult is really joyful mm. Listening to the art of being a mum with my mum Alison Newman. I started doing improv comedy last year. Just they do um, a series of like terms, basically. Yeah. And improv, particularly in the early stages, has lots of games that you'll play, it, and they're really fun. So something very small might be um, one person. You're in say pairs. One person says, well, 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 if it isn't the, and then you have to think of like an adjective and then an occupation or a, or a type of thing. So, well, 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 if it isn't that angry bus driver. <laughs> and then the other person has to say something that an angry bus driver will say, like, oh, you know, um, oh, you haven't got your ticket, get off the bus or something. Like that. Yeah. I don't know, something small. Um, but I do that. And I take a lot of those games, but that sort of thing with my kids where you'll say, well, 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 if it isn't the something, something. And it's just really fun seeing what they come back with and what, yeah, I would feel silly potentially doing that with adults, but kids are always up for that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They love it. Um, I work in childcare and I, it's the perfect environment for just being yourself like truly being yourself because you can be as silly as you want you can have as and the staff everyone's the same so there's all this banter and silliness like I could imagine going into my work and doing something like that because people are just in that headspace that you know all your inhibitions are gone no one's judging you like a kid's not going to look at you and go oh that's not very funny like you know (laughs) it's so good and I, I do like there are certain friends I have that that you can do that sort of stuff with my um, publicist for the book, the competition, we traveled around a bit since the books come out. And she was saying when she was a kid on long car trips, obviously you had the radio, but the radio would go out. So her family used to play this game where one of them would pretend to be a talkback radio host and the others would call in. And she said the great joy of it was just in the inaneness. So you'd sort of drive past a church and say, oh, we're looking at churches today. Have you ever been in a church? What's a funny thing that's happened in a church? Do you like churches? You know, this sort of thing. And and just the ridiculousness. We did it for hours, like just as we were sort of being driven from place to place. Oh, suitcases. Do you have a hard suitcase? Have you ever ever lost a suitcase? (laughs) You know, just, yeah, yeah, it's fun. So I I tried doing that with my, my kids and they have never heard talkback radio. We listen oh, to podcasts and things yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? You sort of forget <laughs> that that's not of that generation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's funny. cool. I should try that with my kids. They would love that, actually. It's so much fun. Yeah. Like the more inane that it gets is yeah. just, yeah. and because talkback people are so, like, have such an opinion, such a singular oh, yeah. point of view. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine your um that lady you said about before that inspired like yes she'd be on there about the mahjong in the bingo room exactly <laughs> oh my gosh One of the things I I like to ask my guests is about how having children or being a mother sort of might have changed the way they create. And that's how it sort of has influenced you, I guess, is that it brought back that ability to to play and look at things differently, maybe look at things through the eyes of the child. Yeah. I think that's the real, yeah, that's, 
that for me, that's what kids have brought. I think also that I've had much greater exposure to kids' books. Kids' mm. books have changed a lot since I was a kid. You still have, I mean, I loved Roald Dahl and I still love Roald Dahl, but even when I pick him up, I'm like, oh, it's pretty harsh at times. Like some <laughs> of, you know, a lot it's of it true. has <laughs> sort of carried through, but other things you're like, well, I don't know if we'd get away with that now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually, that's a really good point. Is it some of the stuff, yeah, I've, I've noticed the same thing and, and like reading to kids at work over the years. It's like it's gone from like almost like an adult way of writing to this mm-hmm. completely the other way that you think you'd hear that in this, like, you know, the schoolyard, like it's not even formal enough for a book, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. This, yeah, the, um, my kids read a lot of R.A. Spratt who does, Nanny Piggins and um anyway she is very funny just listening to kids books is really fun we listen to a lot of them on audio on podcasts or on um borrow box like library apps type Mm -hmm. things so I think not only that sense of play with my own kids but being exposed to authors who play a lot in their writing Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more of that than there ever was before you look at the treehouse books or books that are just a bit absurd or yeah yeah, funny books yeah you talked before about not really knowing what to expect like you were thinking of things in a point of view of loss like will I get this back, you know, maybe how it's going to fit into my life. Did you have other mothers around you at the time who were writers that you could sort of glean information from or were you just basically making it up as you went, I suppose? I had I had just started a writer's group. There were four of us in the writer's group. Um, and, oh, no, I didn't have that then. That's a lie. So <laughs> I had gone to RMIT and I was doing some creative writing courses there but I didn't have a group at that point but it must have been fairly early on when I went back so Tilly must have been about 12 months old and then met a couple of people and we set up a writer's group that was separate so that was a really pivotal moment for me in having other people around me who were writers that I could talk to they were obviously less established writers so they were also had pretty young kids and were figuring those things out um so I think it was a a more lonely endeavor by the time well not a lonely endeavor but probably everyone has to figure that balance of stuff out for themselves Mm. but when my son was born one of the girls in the writer's group was Kate actually gave me a book by Rachel Power oh cool oh what's it uh the name is now escaping the divided heart (laughs) I remember breastfeeding at night and just devouring this book which is a book it's a collection of interviews with creatives uh, writers musicians all different sorts that talk about particularly those early stages of motherhoods and motherhood and how they fit it in Mm. and so you would have people who were sort of literally breastfeeding to the side of the stage before going out and playing a set and others who really had struggled to be able to do everything, to be able to do anything. Mm. (coughs) And for me, that was the greatest education because it was this breadth of experience of how people had made it work. And so it, it sort of did reinforce that idea of you just have to figure it out, but it presented a vision of it can coexist. You don't have to give one up. Mm-hmm. You, you can have both and it will be a juggle. And here are examples of what the juggle looks like. But um, yeah, yeah, that was that, huge for me. Yeah, book. And it's, in fact, I've tried to give it to people who've just had babies and who are creative and it's very hard to get. Yeah. Um, I had Rachel on the on the show on the podcast in season one and gosh she's an amazing woman to speak to she's just I don't even know how to describe her she's just incredible um and the gift that that book keeps giving to people it just it's endless like so many people 
had had mentioned this book um and I actually had hadn't read it I'd heard of it but I hadn't read it and I reckon the first three people I'd spoken to had mentioned this book I'm like I need to read this book and then I read it and I'm like I need to talk to this lady that wrote it like I, I need to get inside her head more and yeah she was it, so generous with her time it was wonderful to speak to her it's such a known book among mm-hmm. like I want to say it's niche but it's kind of not niche because it really applies to so many women it's just that it it applies at this particular it gets yeah. you at this particular stage of life that's it isn't it it's yeah, yeah it's an incredible book yeah I approached my interview with with Rachel like I didn't want to be a complete fangirl you know like you, you might be like yes. that too when you speak to authors it's like I need to contain myself but I'm so excited to speak to her and I, I just wanted her to really understand from a lay person that what she's done is just been incredible and the gift that she's given to so many people and um yeah just how grateful we all are <laughs> you know for does she know that I imagine she I gets she that does. a lot does I she think she yeah. does I hope she does it's, if you're listening I hope you get it <laughs> well she, it really to me in in what I have seen it is the only book of that kind of ilk that I have discovered and it is a very beloved book yeah absolutely yeah so so yeah like I think what what I've sort of taken from that what you're just saying is like you can see what other people do you can't exactly copy what they're doing because everyone's life's different but it's reassuring to hear everyone's going through it and we can make it work and like you said these are some ways that you can sort of manage that that juggle and I think it helps with that um you can feel very judged in that juggle at times oh, yeah. particularly and and a creative juggle is very distinct from a work juggle because mm-hmm. at least a work juggle is bringing money in yeah. whereas the creative juggle might not bring money in at all or a very small amount of money relative to return mm-hmm. so that tension I think is more profound in that it, space it's a whole like I, I can never say it right it's not a kettle of worms it's a can of worms yes i get my kettle of fish in my can but that is it like the value that artists have been on a say forced in inverted commas because i don't really believe we bring it on ourselves it's something that society and external judgment Mm. has brought upon us that we if things are only of value if that's a monetary value and that's a horrible thing to say unless you can commercialize it unless it's part of capitalism society it's what is it worth, you know? And that's a really, really sad thing. Well, it's so, I think it's so deeply ingrained that in many people, that many people don't even realise. Like one of the things people always ask you when your book comes out or when it's been out for a little while, and it, it's generally not other writers or other authors that would ever ask this, but just kind of people that are outside of that world is, oh, what are sales like? Did you, um, which, and I can understand that compulsion to ask that, but yep. it's it's such a fraught question for someone producing creative because it so diminishes the worth of something mm-hmm. to this volumetric measure when yep. equally they could say, you know, what's been the response or have you, yeah. you, you know, like there's so many other ways that you could measure the success of a thing Absolutely. to talk to sales is, is yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the the mums I've had on this show have felt the judgment from um, not their own parents, but like parents in law about, um, there's one example um, of a lady that the mother-in-law would look after uh, the brother's children because the mum was going to work, like an actual job, but she wouldn't look after yeah. her children because what she was doing wasn't deemed as being worthy enough to have childcare, yeah. you know, it's like this, this massive judgment that comes at you from all angles. That kind of ties into one of the things I love to talk to mums about is this whole thick concept of mum guilt. What's your sort of take on that in relation to to creativity I think I think mum guilt is hard to escape on some level um 
what has made a massive difference for me, and I would say it's probably in other writers' lives as well, is publication. So pre, it's like that gives something a legitimacy and a validation mm-hmm. that all of those years where, you know, you might get an article here or a short story here and all that sort of stuff is the real turning point in terms of perception because I think there is a relationship and like a real life relationship between perception and and um that that kind of valuing of what you're spending your time doing there's also an element that is in your head as well yeah I don't suffer majorly from mum guilt because I guess for a lot of years, I tried to make my writing as invisible as possible. So I would get up at five o'clock or 4.30 before kids. Pre-COVID, I would leave the house. We have a 24-hour McDonald's nearby. I would spend that, you know, be back by 7 a.m., which, you know, I'm in a privileged position to be able to do because I have a partner who was in bed at that time. So I did work really hard to kind of make that as invisible as possible um, because I have now got two books out, I've been able to carve out more time. Mm. Um, but I remember when Tilly was, I think she was about nine months old and she might've been 10 months. And I got uh, my very first fellowship to go to a writing retreat at Varuna, this retreat that I'd mentioned before. And it was a full week all on my own. And I was so unbelievably excited because it was a really validating thing to have won in the first place, but also because I had a 10-month-old baby. Like, to be away from that child was, like, hard, but I was going to love every minute of it as well. And I think I even weaned Tilly in order to go, which I would not have told people at the time, but I didn't want to be pumping milk and being at this retreat the whole time. Yeah, a week's a long time um, to be pumping. (laughs) Oh my God, pumping is the worst. Anyway, so my husband and I were in Sydney and I was going to catch a train to Varuna. And so I was in this like great joyous mix of excitement and all the rest. And he got up Uh, at sort of 5am put Tilly in the car and they drove off and so I lay luxuriating in bed and was just about to get onto the train and was just pure pure excitement and you know like I'll miss you but I'm so happy Mm. anyway he called me at like 7 30 and something had happened with the car and they'd been driving and he what had happened? The brakes had failed. (gasps) So he was trying to slow the car down and pushing on the brake and nothing was happening. So he was stuck on the freeway with no way of like slowing down. And so he managed somehow to get the handbrake to go on. He's going at like a hundred kilometers an hour. So it was like this real near death experience. And it was so like, it was awful and crushing on multiple levels. But I remember feeling really worried but also if I hadn't have been if I hadn't have been going off to do my writer's retreat all by myself that would like it was such a guilt-laden moment even though it was complete chance and me having been there or not wouldn't have made a difference yeah it's just yeah like did you get to go on your retreat still or did you I did and I still had a great time but I always, whenever I think of that retreat, I think of this near death. That was it. The cruise control got stuck on and oh. he couldn't turn the cruise control off. Oh my God. So it just kept, the car kept barreling along. So it's this really frightening thing. But whenever I think of that retreat, I also think of the two of them having this near death experience mm. and it is overlaid with joy and guilt. So as much as I sort of am conscious of it and yeah, try not to feel it, mm. it's, it's, yeah, it, it rears its little head. I love that. And I love that you didn't go back and save them in the car. Like you went to your <laughs> retreat. Because like like you said, like what would have been, nothing would have changed if you were in that car. The same thing would have happened. It's like. I, I would have made it worse because I would have been like, ah, we're going to die. Ah. <laughs> so it's probably better for everyone that I wasn't. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Thank you.
a topic that I I like to raise with my guests is about identity, about um, how the concept of how you saw yourself changed when you became a mum. Did you sort of have any sort of experience where you went, I mean, you did talk about before how you were concerned that you may not be able to write again. Yeah, identity is an interesting one. I think that I have never been a person that has, or when I became a mother, that that became my single identity. And I'd probably say that from even when I worked, I worked as an engineer. I really struggled to say I'm an engineer, were to take that on as an identity. Like some people do really take their job on as an identity. I never really did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled to take on I'm a writer as an identity, which probably is more imposter syndrome, Um <laughs> you know, is is probably the source of that more than anything. So with motherhood, I was obviously a mother, but I never saw that as a singular entity to how I was. Um, and I think part of that was I was able to write in those early days of motherhood, you know, a couple of months in that sort of stuff. I did go back to work. So I didn't spend, I spent a year off, but I, I didn't spend a prolonged period of time. So I think that really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a tendency to obsession. Like I could very easily uh, focus singularly on art. Like I have to be very conscious of what is important to me in life. And I want to have strong relationships with my kids and my partner and be in the world. But mm-hmm. um I have to really be conscious to balance that and to not let obsession with writing and those kinds of things overtake. It's a really conscious effort for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that? What, like, how do you, I'm an all or nothing person that my psychologist has told me that many times I, I get fixated on things and I have to do them or conversely, I just couldn't give a shit about anything. Like it's really odd. (laughs) Yeah. Like if I've got something in my head that I, want to achieve I'll do it but that's very rare I'm a very unmotivated person generally that's right like when I watch the Olympics and you hear people their story like they broke their leg but they came back and then something else happened and they came back I just think god I would have just given up after the first thing you know I'm not that person (laughs) at all so I have so much admiration for people that do that um but yeah I I'm a bit I'm a bit the same sometimes and then I sort of think oh who's cooking tea tonight? You know, like I just get in this, I'm just doing, doing, doing. And I'm like, oh, I lift my head up and go, oh, what's happening in the world? You know, (laughs) I think it's as well, like the tension we often have in my house is my husband is a much neater person than I am. Um, So (laughs) yeah, I can really, not I can live in filth, but like as long as there's no like dirty food and dishes and that sort of stuff, like I can absolutely, I can tune it out. It doesn't, um bother me and I I sometimes think like not to overstate it that's a gift in life to because I was not someone who when the the child was napping I wasn't like oh quickly tidy that Mm. never occurred to me I was that was not gonna happen I can completely relate to that Like, right, what can I do now in 45 minutes? <laughs> Jump in the studio. Exactly. It's just mm. exactly, which I think is what you have to do. Like in those early stages and those early days of motherhood, if you are the stay at home and the baby is, you're doing 90% of the caregiving, my God, you can't be cleaning your house in the 45-minute nap that that child has. No, no, it, absolutely yeah. not. It just makes me weary thinking about it, actually. I so. know. <laughs> but you also have to be tolerant. Like you have to be able to stand the mess as well. So. Oh, that's the thing, isn't it? You do, but you do, you get you get used to a level of discomfort that then sort of disappears. It's like, I can handle that being there, can I? Yes, I can. Oh, don't even see it anymore. You know, just yeah. <laughs> my house is absolutely spotless. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's (laughs) hilarious.
so do you feel I know your your children are six and eight they're very capable of seeing what's happening around them is it important to you that they see what you're doing and what you're contributing to the world yeah I think um I think it's really important and they are really proud of that too um my son in particular is I think my best PR agent <laughs> in the world, he will always tell when well, he talks to his teachers and says, oh, mum's, you know, last year he was saying, oh, mum's written a book. And this year he's like, can I take the book in for my teacher? And Aww. to this, but like he tells everyone, we went into a bookshop recently and um, my book was on the shelf and he, like, it was quite a small shop and he was very loud, like, mum, there's your book. And I was sort of like, Oscar, shh, shh, don't, don't, I don't want to, don't, don't. And then when we came out, he's like, Mom, you should be so proud. Why, why, you know, like really, really sweet. So I think it's really positive for them. Mm. I think um, I didn't grow up in a household that, you know, it, when people talked about where well, there weren't artistic people in it, um, people read a lot and, and you know, went to theatre and shows and liked things. But the idea of doing it yourself was pretty foreign so I really like that that's a possibility for them mm -hmm. um but they also and I think this is good too see that um you're generally not going to make a living from it it will bring you great joy you you can have a lot of success with it but from a fiction writing perspective it would be 20 authors in Australia you know a pretty mm. small number that get to write full-time yeah yeah, yeah, so they're, they're learning so, early on the realities of being an artist. <laughs> well, that it's it coexists and it's an important part of life, but it yeah. it you might not want to put all your eggs in that basket, but also equally you might want to arrange your life so that there's space for that. So, mm. you know, you, That's can, so valuable. you don't have to work full time. You don't have yeah. to, you know, be ambitious I think we look so much to work as to give people fulfillment mm -hmm. and I think that's not a message that my kids get not to say that you can't enjoy work and that work you know I work um in the environmental space and sustainability stuff I think is is really important mm -hmm. and so I want them to understand that responsibility but also that that creativity is an important thing too because mm. we look so much to sport in Australia oh, we and <laughs> and and I know sport has a health dimension but so do the arts yeah and you can pick up all those skills around teamwork by being in the theater or dancing mm -hmm. or you know it it's, doesn't need to be so singular yeah I had a conversation with a um for the podcast with a lady who was overseas and we were talking about what happened during COVID, what stopped and what didn't stop. And it was just like reflecting on the fact that even though there were lockdowns and restrictions, hundreds of male footballers were allowed to move around this country like COVID didn't exist. But then on the other hand, every performer, you know, anyone who was doing something in the public eye that wasn't sport just had the rug pulled out from under them it was just really really showing what cult our culture in Australia values and it was really sad absolutely and meanwhile you know 99% of the population are watching Netflix and <sighs> consuming the culture that that artists produce yeah. it's what know. I said to someone like everything that we touch everything that we listen to and we consume has been made by someone a creative person has made that. And I think we forget that, that it's like if we cut the arts off, you wouldn't have the radio, you wouldn't have the TV, you wouldn't have your Netflix, you mm. wouldn't have music, you wouldn't have, you know, houses, you, you know, everything would stop. You wouldn't be able to drive your car because no one would be creating, you know, beautiful cars. It would just, everything would stop. And no one thinks about it in that way. Like the our government certainly doesn't. Oh. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's hugely disappointing. And I think that valuing of not only sport but male sport is yeah. is just, is, yeah, makes it particularly disappointing, particularly, you know, given the role models that sportsmen often are playing, there are a lot of issues that I think the 
creative types are a bit, you know, more across. Yeah. You don't see them in the paper, uh, you know, <laughs> up on sort of sexual assault or harassment charges and those sorts of yeah. things. Or sitting sitting in hotel rooms snorting cocaine or something. I don't know. <sighs> Sorry, maybe maybe they're doing it, but we just don't know about it. <laughs> they're better at not getting caught. That's right. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, honestly, it really has been a massive eye-opener and not in a very nice way. I don't know. Would you, do you have anything else that you wanted to share, like what you've got coming up? I mean, you mentioned that you've got like your official launch. Do you want to share yeah. anything sort of um, coming up? I think I've got a few uh, festivals I'll be at, I could share about. Yeah, for um, sure. So I will be at Queenscliff and Williamstown Writers Festivals at those I'm talking with Tony Jordan who is an author that I'm a huge fan of. So that feels like a very special moment. <laughs> um, and I'm also going to Bendigo where I will be, I think in a session with Kate talking about the first time podcast. I think we're doing a live recording. Um, oh, cool. Be a lot of fun. And so those are coming up in May and June and the details will be on my website. Awesome. That is so cool. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's just been that so nice. Yeah. So nice. So nice to think about creativity in kids like yeah. um this feels like the podcast version of Rachel's book <laughs> that's incredibly flattering thank you <laughs> well I think it's what we need like it has a bigger impact on women than it does on men the advent mm. of children absolutely um, yeah it's good yeah. keep up the good work oh <laughs> likewise thank you Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum. <laughs>